Welcome to the show. This is TJ. Hi, it's Michael. Michael, are you a power bottom? I like to be tied up. I like to be handcuffed. <laughs> You're an idiot. Let's go to a commercial, Michael. They're not commercials. <laughs> Michael. Welcome to Quirinstein Bears, the podcast. I just don't like her. Your hosts, CJ and Michael Burlow. Wait, why can't I say that? It's a lot bigger in person. Stop it. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Screaming. By searching The Quirinstein Bears, the podcast. You really don't understand. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> And now, here are your hosts, CJ and Michael. What's up, what's up, what's up? Yeah? I guess, yeah. I love how you. I love how you start every episode off with being very butch, Michael. Because I am nothing but a butch man. <laughs> yeah, you are the butch butcher. I'm Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, isn't that a thing? Yeah, but I'm not the Sundance Kid. No? <laughs> what's yeah. up, everybody? It's Tuesday! Already? So quickly? I know, right? Time flies when you're in L.A. It's like it happens every week. As if it's a thing. I don't know. Right? It's um, like time. Just, As Madonna said, time goes by so slowly. Or like Cindy Lauper, time after time. Right. I would I catch it. you. In- I hate that song. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the last episode of the Queerest Team Bears. No, it's not. Uh, Stop that. <laughs> That's well, that kind of leads into it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday. If actually, let me rephrase this gentle they and gentle them. Welcome to Tuesday's episode of the Quarantine Bears. Isn't it ladies and gentle them? Uh, no, because I don't even want to say ladies and gentle, because then that still has a gender attached to it, Michael. I guess technically. How about this? Everybody and everybody in between, welcome to Tuesday's Quarantine Bears. How's that? Is that better? That is better. I like that better. Yeah, that's better. Uh, that's right. It is Tuesday. It's a new episode. I'm still in LA. I'm <laughs> not. <laughs> I know, Michael. Last week we did this. Uh, in two separate rooms, which was really weird. And now we're in two separate states. I know. Now I'm home by myself. And I'm in a hotel room by myself. So well, at least we're alone together. I guess. Together alone. If that if that makes sense. I, I think it does. And I'm sitting here looking at this window, beautiful downtown LA, uh, just full of smog and uh, full of cars. And there's so many Teslas. All the Teslas. That's our new drinking game. Every time you see a Tesla, All take a shot. Tesla. All the Teslas. That's right. Uh, Michael, it has been a week and I haven't seen you. And it makes me upset. But that's okay. How was your week? What did you do this week? I didn't do anything fun this week. I literally worked all week. And then I just ordered some DoorDash food and it was shitty. And I'm really mad about it. <laughs> so all you did was work? Like how are All you I did was job? work. I love my new want, job. It's a lot of fun. You switched uh, careers. So you're no longer a waiter anymore. I'm not. Um, I'm not a, not a bartender, waiter, server, you know. You went back to your call center kind of gig that you had I for did. a while. And you're liking it? I love it. I, I, it's the first call center I've actually had that I liked the job, so it's nice. Oh, that's good. So what are we going to do now? Because you're no longer serving, so we can't do like you're serving the kids or whatever the fuck we called your Well, considering thing. we haven't done that in 10 episodes, I think our fans are okay with that. I know, but now we need to think of something like, can we just do like dialing with the diva or something like, or like that? Call her out. Mm, yes, I like that one. Call her out. That's going to be your little thing if we need to, to fill time. We don't say fill time. It's to be a segment. Well, we don't say segments either, Michael. So That's very make it fair. fucking mind. That's very fair. <laughs> How was your week in LA being uh, a la girl? A la girl. It was interesting. So this whole week, we've been kind of like all over the place. You know, we're doing this this movie out in LA. Can you say that? Um. Yeah, I can say that. I just can't say what. 
But we're it's the sequel to A Star Is Born. It's called A the Star Burnt Is Faded. Star. <laughs> but yeah, so we're doing this movie out in LA. Ginger went from doing morning shoots, so I got to see her at like 10 o'clock at night, to now doing overnights. So she leaves the hotel room at like 5 or 6 p.m. It doesn't show back up until like 8 or 9 a.m. But they're shooting this movie, which is great. And by they, I mean some other people. It's just been really weird because like I'm so used to going and doing things when I'm in LA. Every time I'm here, we have four or five days off. So we're able to go and do like the Disney thing, do the Universal thing. Um, and all that which we did last week when you were here it was so much um, fun i loved going to universal yeah disney. after we got off the air last tuesday about disney we then went to universal the next day so we did two days in a row of theme park wasn't it just a joy it sucks it didn't suck you had fun i did have fun but doing theme parks two days in a row is not fun as you all know we live in orlando so we do the theme parks all the time but normally it's like we go and do like two or three things in a park and then leave for the day. When we did Disney, we walked like 15 miles. And then the next day we went to Universal and walked another five miles. Right. It was a lot. Um, It was a lot. Yeah, but I'm fat too and I was fine. Good for you, Michael. I'm proud of you. And then after Michael went home to Orlando, we had one more day off and we went to Rodeo Drive and spent a lot of money. Of course you did. Gotta spend that lipstick Uh, money, girl. As many people know, Michael... I wear Converse, high top Converse. It's like my what? Shoe of choice. It's my shoe of choice. I don't think I like. I don't feel comfortable in other shoes, but a high top I will wear left and right. And I spoiled myself for the first time in a very long time because normally, like, I don't look at things because I'm not a very material person. Like, I don't really believe in like, right. material items and stuff like that. Because uh, at the end of the day, you can't bring it with you, so all that kind of stuff. I'd rather have the experience. I'd rather go do something that involves friends or like go to a nice, beautiful restaurant and kind of eat because I'm a foodie or just have some kind of experience because to me, that's fun. That's exciting because it's a once in a lifetime thing. But anyway, I, I digress. So I went to the Gucci store in Rodeo Drive and I was looking around and Ginger was like, get something. I've spent all this money on myself. Go get something that you really, really want and kind of enjoy. So I was looking around the store and like, of course it's Gucci. So the largest size they go up to is an extra small. And that's not true. They have XL because I've bought <laughs> that stuff before. Gucci goes up to a 3XL. I have okay. to find out they go up to a 3XL. However, the 3XL fit like a small, or I'm just fat and whatever. But anyway, I was like, I really don't want clothes. I really don't want jewelry. I have enough cologne. Let me look at shoes. And I was like, Ginger always gets the slides at Gucci. So I went in and I looked. Well, Gucci came out with high tops. Oh, did they? They sure fucking did. And they have like, when I say Gucci came out with high tops, I'm not talking like those ugly fucking fashion high tops that people come out with where it's like the ugliest fucking thing and they say it's designer. No, they have actually really cute high top shoes. I'm going to plug Gucci. They don't sponsor us, but go to Gucci's website and look at these high tops because they're everything. But they have this new line they just came out with and it's 100% recycled material that they use in these, like this collection. So like it's all recycled plastics and recycled vinyl and like all... All of that kind of stuff. So I got these really cute blue recycled material Gucci high tops. They are the most expensive thing I've ever bought in my entire life. Uh, they are not leaving the box unless I really have to use them for something. Uh, right, I right. Wore, I, I almost wore them out on Saturday to dinner, but I decided not to. But they are gorgeous. Like, you're going to love them when you see them when, when I get home. They're just, they are everything. They are perfect. They fit my style. Uh, I may have to go buy more. And by more, I mean the other four pairs they own. But that was my Let you miss Gucci. Right, Miss LaGuardia. I'm not a Gucci girl. I'm not a Gucci girl. I'm a, I'm a Louis Vuitton girl. But here's my thing with Louis. I looked at their shoes too. Because I, was, I don't like the, I don't like their shoes. I like Louis Vuittons. I don't like Louis Vuitton shoes. They were not fun. And like, no, their I'm shoes not, are very, very like very plain. 
yeah, and I'm not a fan of Louis's logo. Like they're they're and see that's how I am. That's how I am with Gucci. I feel like people don't have ever have money in their life, and all of a sudden they get a couple bucks and they go to Gucci. Like that's how I've always felt. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> it's true. I feel very attacked. Just um, saying. But like my thing with Louis is that like everything has that same pattern, and it's the same logo on everything. Where like I look at Gucci, right, and I look at like the slides that Ginger has. It has the green and red like design on it but it doesn't if you don't know what that is they look like normal shoes but if you know you know unlike louis vuitton where it literally has that lv and that diamond on everything the thing about gucci is like their stuff for like a lot it's i like so the bag that ginger just got is great it's super cute i love it but like for the longest time their stuff was so gaudy and so much like i have a gucci bag and i like it but like their just stuff is, was so gaudy for so long you want to talk about gaudy ginger bought this fucking ring when we were there uh it's gorgeous but it is the most gaudy thing i've ever seen in my entire life i just think of like old like grandmothers with like with like gaudy jewelry that like carry gucci bag. Like, that's what i see but like i feel like old school gucci was like that but i feel like the new school stuff like the, stuff the new stuff isn't, the out, new stuff isn't bad it's just i've always had a bad taste in my mouth ever since that old school stuff was just like Ugh. yeah i think like the last five years gucci really kind of had a, a revitalization of their brand and like what they've put out with like their logo not necessarily being like everything but they go more for that green and red stripe and you know it's Gucci. And if you don't know, then you don't know. But like, well, that's because, like, stuff. that's because a couple of years ago, Marco Bazzari came in and he's like, redis- like redefined the whole Gutas Gucci. So, like, that, like, yeah. it, that was a well, big, his, his big undertaking. It's like my whole thing with Michael Kors. I don't, Ew, I hate Michael Kors. The, I don't understand the allure of Michael Kors. I think all of his stuff is ugly. It looks pedestrian. It looks, but so does Coach, though. Mall. I feel the same way about Coach. Coach is not. See, my, my leather bag that I wear everywhere and I've had for like four years has never done me wrong. I enjoy it. I like Their problem good- is they like started doing stuff like collaborating with Disney and just making such like over-the-top nonsense. Like I don't want a fucking Gucci ba- or a, a coach bag with like Mickey Mouse embroidered all over it. Like, And that's all they do now is collabs like that and it's just cheapened the brand a little bit. Well, my thing with coach now is they focus so heavily on those fucking patches now mm-hmm. and making everything very much like one of a kind let's put the user in charge of what their bag looks like right like, no i don't want that you tell me like fashion is very much a you tell me what is fashionable and i have to go and wear it. if i have to choose my own adventure when it comes to fashion then it's not fashion anymore you might as well just be a fucking build-a-bear yeah, <laughs> yeah you know like, like like lady gaga said father son in the house of gucci Father, son, and house of Gucci. Yes, thank you. Anyway, Michael, let's dive in to our Thursday tradition. Bra bra bra. This show's the boring. Start uh-huh. your engine. This is at least one. Okay, so fucking play the intro. Now it's off to the races. Anyway, you can sit there and tell them, say that it's boring, but we have to admit, and I'm not saying this because... Oh, I love this. I love this episode. It was a great episode. I'm not mad. No, I'm, no, just... like, I'm not talking about the episode. I'm talking about the season in general. Like, I think All-Star 6 has been the best All-Star season since season two. two. Oh, I agree. I just, it's been so long of so much of Drag Race. I need a little break from Drag Race. But let's look at it this way. At least it's not as long as season 13. That is very fair. But I feel like season 13 well, never ended because we've been watching it every, like, it's been on the same time. Yeah, but we only have four more episodes of All-Stars. Unlike season 13 that had, like, fucking five months of content. Right. We're down to, like, this season only has, like, 
two or three months of actual content. Right, that's very true. Which is relief, and it's entertaining. Like, you are thoroughly entertained every week. I haven't seen, like, one negative post about the length of time that's been going on because every week is entertaining. That is very true. Unlike season 13, where there was so much drama that felt so overproduced, the drama that at least happens, like, on this season is fan-created drama. That is true. I have, a, I, have an important, I have an important update for you. Okay. I have ordered new food and it is on its way. Thank, thank the maker. I have to I got, order my I got, I got Junior Columbia Burger instead of these nasty chicken wings that I bought. Well, there you go. I'm so proud of you. Um, yeah, anyways, continue. But this week, I, it was everyone's favorite game. Snatch it's game. game! It's not the game within the game, but it's still a game. Yeah, you're right. It is Snatch Game. It's a Snatch Game of Love that they do every season. For all I, don't like the, I don't like the um, of Love one. I think it's boring. See, I think... Okay, so I think the Snatch Game of Love is a better concept when it's done on All-Stars. I don't think it'll be successful on a regular season, but on All-Stars, it's great because these girls have already done it. If they didn't make it that far, then it's their first introduction to it. But if they did, this is their second time doing it. And I feel like it highlights the girls a little bit more um, because they're smaller groups. So you get more of a chance to kind of experience each other have that experience exactly and rue gets the experience to kind of have a focus on three opposed to eight or nine that right normally on right that's fair but yeah this week was snatch game they broke it up into two groups as they always do because there's only six left uh we had fortune feemster and cheyenne jackson as the the snatchlers he's so pretty he is gorgeous oh i would eat the corn out of his shit i'm just kidding gross gross (laughs) so we had the first group which was Ginger as Phyllis Diller, TKB as Whitney Miss Houston, Whitney. and we had uh, Kylie Sonique Love as Dolly Parton. Okay, she didn't look anything like Dolly Parton, more like Molly Parton. So let's get into this. I have remained very objective when it comes to talking about Ginger on the season, as I should be, because it's not about her, it's about the experience that everyone is watching. Right. Um, I'm going to say this, though. She fucking killed Snatch Game. Oh, she slayed it again for the second time. Killed it. And, like, I'm reading all these things about how, like, she didn't sound like Phyllis Diller, she didn't look like Phyllis Diller, she didn't do the laugh like Phyllis Diller. Okay, first of all, 13-year-old Beth from Idaho, I don't think you know how to spell Phyllis, let alone know who Phyllis Diller is. All these people are becoming Phyllis Diller's experts, and you've never, you fucking haven't heard of Phyllis Diller before this so stop it exactly going on and on about how she didn't look sound or do anything that's very phyllis diller like but then raved about kylie who looked good but didn't she didn't look like like she didn't look like dolly parton she did not look like dolly parton she looked like a fucking a girl with big blonde hair and big boobies that does not make dolly parton she didn't paint like her she didn't act like her she didn't sound like her yeah there was no mannerisms that were dolly like she was very meek when she was talking Dolly has a very distinct southern high-pitched voice when she talks. She has that little squeaky laugh she does every so often. Like that's Dolly. That was- and what and the <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And what Kylie did was not Dolly Parton. Like you know what she you know what she didn't do? She didn't do it like Dolly. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh, we're gonna talk about that too. And then Unfortunately, Trinity K. Bonet, TKB, just kind of fell onto the wayside, unfortunately, because she was put between two people who were just powerhouses. And I thought she Um, looked so much like Whitney. She looked just like Whitney. And I feel like Ginger and Kylie did a good job at giving her content, giving her things for her to slay and for her to do really, really well. But she just didn't. She just gave up right away. She stopped doing it. She stopped interacting. She kind of stopped. She just had such a great opportunity because as anybody knows, I mean, you know it and people who have met Ginger knows it. She is a very good improver and knows that 
improv is very much Important. yes and yeah it's very much yes and and when she gives you something it's not on her to to keep the joke going it's on you and if you decide right, to absolutely. Mop, then it falls on you unfortunately you know tkp fell into the trap i wouldn't say trap fell into the curse of stamp game where you can look great but if you're not funny it just doesn't work right and i think that with snatch game it's like the kind of like one of the defining challenges where like it's make or break it like if you can't make it in snatch game you cannot make it the rest of like you're not gonna make it the rest of the season you know yeah and it's something i've said since the beginning when we talked about like the first few episodes when we talked about canada we talked about holland and something like that you know snatch game is going to happen it is not a surprise it happens every fucking season do like figure out the character beforehand if you get that call and says you're going to be on Drag Race, the first thing you should start thinking about is your Snatch Game character. Right. And make it funny and go from there. And I feel like TKB was like, well, I can do Whitney, but... I kind of look like wanna... Whitney, so like, let me just do this. Yeah, and was hoping that either A, she wouldn't make it that far so she didn't have to really do Whitney, or she was going to get some like a group of people with her that weren't as strong as ginger and kyle right i agree i think she was thinking oh i'll get i'll get kind of a grouping where i can kind of shine and do half-ass job yeah speaking of half-ass job then we get the second group oh man um we get eureka o'hara as divine uh then we get pandora as kim cattrall uh and then we get raja as latoya Jack. so the problem the real big problem with pandora's kim cattrall is that she had so many of Kim Cattrall's like memorable lines from Sex and the City in her brain and she was using them they just weren't funny because Samantha's that character that like that very like dry like even keel she doesn't like raise her voice or anything like that and like Pandora wasn't inserting the jokes or like the known things at the right time like okay, her so- confe- wait, wait, when, she, when she did her like confessional <laughs> she was like I'm dating a man of the funkiest tasting spunk like that's one of the most iconic lines from Samantha in the show and I was cackling my ass off and then she got to fucking snatch game and I'm like, oh, you're doing really bad. Well, here's my issue. I don't know who Kim Cattrall is. So, like, I never watched Sex in the City. She's so a very really famous have... actress outside of Sex in the City, too, though. <laughs> like, well, no, I understand that, but like, that's her big, like, right? Her big claim, to, her done. big claim to fame. Yeah, yeah. So I never really watched it, and I don't know who Kim Cattrall is. I don't know who Latoya Jackson is, TBH as well. Like, I know who she is, obviously, but like, I've never followed her career path, so I don't really know know her if that makes sense so to me watching it i was like oh okay like this is cute like i don't know who these people are so convince me that they're funny but then i like watched it and my first thought was wow they set this group up to fail right they, because you right. put you put them after ginger and kylie stole the fucking show right. and then you put them on right after and they need to be bigger and louder and stronger because right. you just laughed your ass off five minutes ago with Ginger and Kylie going back and forth. Right, and the thing was, like, Kylie was funny, but, like, like I said, Kylie was funny. I'll give her that. Yes, Kylie was funny. She did really great compared to, you know, when she did Gaga. She wasn't funny as Dolly, though. She was funny as Kylie. Yeah, it just really kind of put a damper on the last, on, like, Eureka, uh, Pandora, and Raja, because, again, they had to follow that powerhouse of people. Earlier last week on Thursday, when the episode came out on my Instagram Live, about how, you know, Eureka's a very loud person. Right. She's a very like, look at me. She's a big personality. She's boisterous. And you, yeah. And you put her next to somebody who is not. Like Pandora. You put, you put her next to Pandora, who is very shy. She is very quiet. She's a very meek person doing somebody who's very quiet and very shy and not very loud. So right. it just seemed like they were very much setting it up for Pandora to go home in that episode because of the grouping. Right. I love Eureka. 
if you went and saw women behind bars in LA, she literally just played the matron because that you're a hundred percent, you're a hundred percent true. Cause I've seen it about going to the drive-in movie is literally the monologue she does from women behind bars. And she did it exactly the way she did it in the show. And I, there's so much you could do with divine. I'm sorry. If anybody's like, going to be playing divine, it should be ginger. Sorry about it. Yes. But like, I'm not like, that's nor here nor there. Like, she did okay as Divine. She looked like Divine. Her dress was very much Divine. But, like, she just screamed, and she just was loud, and, like, Divine is a but big But that's her go-to thing, though. That's her go-to thing is to scream and yell and be loud. Well, yeah, because she wants all the focus on her. Um, right. And then we get Raja as Latoya, and honestly, it was forgettable. Yeah, like, she... She didn't look like her. She didn't sound like her. Yeah, it was it was very forgettable, unfortunately. And then we get to the runway this week, which was pop art. I love I love pop art's my favorite type of art. Like Andy Warhol's my favorite artist. So like I was so excited for this. So everybody did the same thing. So it was the kimono thing all over again. Right. But like there's always um, so much you can really do with pop art, to be fair. I'm surprised nobody came out as a soup can. Well, I think there's so much you can do with pop art TBH because like we think of pop art, we automatically go to Andy Warhol because that was like the quintessential pop art thing. However, right. there's so much more to pop art because like technically cartoons are pop art, just in what a I, different form of the of of the world of pop art. What or, I would have done, I would have done is I would have done a gender bend on Andy Warhol himself and just as the pop art artist. That's what I would have done. There could have been so much more. And I feel like everybody did the same thing. You know, TKB stood out because she didn't do what everyone else did. She did that um, pop art face makeup, which is really, really cool. Yeah. And of course, she added the little thing about Black Lives Matter and making it political. And that's great Good for her. A message. And that's great. And then you get somebody like Ginger who walked out there with that fucking outfit, who, which was different because not only was it her face on one side, it was the back of her head on the other. So it was completely conceptualized and it was different. Then you get now available on gingerminge.com. Yeah. And then you get. Eureka, who did the same thing with the faces, but it was just her face all over. Kylie, who did a recycled dress with just her face sewn into it. I liked Pandora's. I thought Pandora's took the concept of pop art and did something a little bit different. Did you see what Jams would have been when she posted on Instagram? Yeah, I wish I had a receipt because I would like to return that. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great concept. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a fan of it. But anyway, the runway was cute. Not my like. It was my favorite one of the runways that I know is happening, uh, but it's wasn't my favorite. The Frills is still my favorite runway they've done. Oh, Frills was so good. Frills is my favorite runway that's been on the season so far. There's some great ones coming up, but Frills was, was my favorite so far. Ginger won. Shocker. Bing, 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 bing. Come on, bitch. The bottom two were uh, TKB and, and Pandora. Pandora. Which is fair. They were, they were both deserving of being in the bottom. Yeah. It drives me crazy, though, is like after the episode, of course, we go on social to look at like what people are thinking and saying and all this other shit. Uh, and people are saying that, you know, Kylie was robbed and Kylie should have won. I'm sorry. Kylie should not have won. No, because just because not. Just because you did better than your original season doesn't justify you winning. Just because you had a glow up doesn't mean you should win because if that was the case, then everybody else who's on the season should be winning every week because everyone's had a glow up. Like, right. Absolutely. It, it doesn't work that way. Like get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. Anyway. So ginger lipsticks against Heidi and closet to sugar walls by Gina Easton, by right? Sheena Easton and wipes the floor with Heidi and closet. Like, what the fuck was that i don't know why i attempted doing her voice um her wig came off too early she was doing splits out of for no reason and it was just kind of like it was just weird uh ginger relied again on what she does best and it's comedy which i think plays very well in songs when you don't necessarily can't do split 
and right. cartwheels and death drops and all that other stupid bullshit. Uh, and sugar one. One, $25,000. Come on, bitch. That's my best friend. I'm so proud. And then it came down to voting. And unfortunately, Pandora went home. She deserved to go home, though. She'd been in the bottom many times and she hadn't had a win yet. She deserved to go home. <clears throat> that was only her second time at the bottom. Okay, the second time at the bottom. bottom. Two, weeks in a, two weeks in a row. All right, and she coasted and Trinity had two wins. There was no way they were going to send Trinity. Yeah, home. no, I understand that completely and I get it. I know we're not supposed to read the comments, but I read them anyway because I like to know what fucking the faggots are saying. And a lot of people are like, okay, we get it, Ginger. You could do comedy. Can you do something else during the lip sync? I'm sorry. Ginger has never lost the fucking lip sync and right. it worked. Right, not exactly. Every fucking, not every lip sync needs to be a fucking Olympic Gymnastics sport event, of- right. Yeah, like look at when Kylie won. All she did was sit there. Fucking, well, no, she did cartwheels into splits and all that kind of stuff. And then if you watch one season two when she went home and lip sync, she literally did the same exact moves in the same exact space, like spots. Right. And it's just, it's so stupid because because she sticks what she knows, which is basic. And everybody lip syncs differently. Like you don't go up and tell somebody how to lip sync. They Ginger has never lost lip sync. So obviously she's doing something right. Right, so absolutely. Get over the get over the fact that she won. End of story. No if and about about it. Fuck right, off if completely. you don't like it. Because uh my bank account loves it. Oh my god, shush. <laughs> Let's talk about um, her copying Ginger's fucking song. Oh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's go to commercial first. Hi, I'm Scott McGrath. I never quite understood knock knock jokes. Where I come from, we keep the door open and unlocked. Someone wants to come over, they just come on in. It does not always work out for folks, though. I had just gotten my first home, and I was sitting on the sofa eating Jiffy Pop popcorn and watching the Cosby Show reruns, and I looked up, and a a six-and-a-half-foot-tall cockroach come walking into my house on his hind legs. For a moment, I wondered what was in that popcorn I had been eating, and then instincts took over, and I reached in the cushion of the sofa and pulled out a sawed-off double-barrel 10-gauge Smith & Wesson shotgun and blew that cockroach straight to bug Hades. Well, shame on me. It turns out that it was Halloween. I had just killed the godson of Mr. Fletcher Gafferty from down on the road. In my defense, it was a really realistic costume. I feel bad for the accidental homicide, but I did get a bit of a rush watching that cockroach explode. Let me kill bugs for you. Call McGrath Pest Control at 281-469-8340. I'm Scott McGrath, and I approve this message. Knock, knock. Who's there? Cockroach. Boom. There's the podcast. <laughs> Bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. Yeah? Something like that, yeah. So, something like that. Back it up, back it up, back it I up. A, I have a pussy up. in my lap right now. Oh, do you now? Mr. Boots is laying with me. Aw, booties. Right. Well, Michael, you know, this week we uh, we had posted on socials, on your social and on my socials, asking the people who listen to our podcast what some of the defining moments in, like, gay, queer pop culture have been. We got very interesting we, responses. But we got some, like, the fact that we got as many responses as we did kind of surprised me. And they were all different. Like, I don't think I got any repeats of things that have happened. I got very few repeats. So I think like we should discuss what some of the things that our listeners feel are these big things that have happened in pop culture, kind of queer culture. Give me your first one, CJ. Yeah. The first one was mine and Ginger's wedding at DragCon. <laughs> Why are you commenting on your own status? I did, No, I did not comment this. This one actually, TBH, 
uh, the only one that repeated on my Instagram story question, um, like four people said that they felt that a, like a defining moment in queer culture or pop culture was mine and Ginger's wedding at DragCon in New York. And while I don't agree with that, I don't think what we did was very like groundbreaking or anything like that. I still think it really kind of showed the power that queer representation still like has, if you will. Because, you know, me and Ginger kept it very hush-hush that we were getting married. We didn't tell anybody. Yet we still had like 3,500 people show up to watch it happen. Right. You know, people keep coming back and saying, oh, they did it for publicity. They did it for publicity. They did it for publicity. We didn't do it for publicity. We don't need to get married for publicity. Like we could have easily gone and got married in a private ceremony somewhere and called it a day. But we didn't because we really wanted to like share that moment with the fans and kind of as like a thank you for supporting us and a thank you for giving us the lifestyle that we have been blessed enough to have. We wanted to give you this special moment and share it with everybody. And that's what we did. Aww. And, you know, it was it was a fun moment. But I wouldn't consider it a, you know, defining moment in gay pop culture because it wasn't. So I just wanted to address that first uh, and kind of get it out of the way so the people who did say that don't get butthurt that I didn't mention it because it was like four people. Right, so I got um, one for you. Yeah, good. Brittany, Madonna, and Christina Aguilera's kiss. Yes, that is probably one of the most defining moments from the VMAs that's ever happened. There's a few. There's that. There's fucking Gaga hanging herself and bleeding. And there's when, what's her face, um, wore that fucking titty, with her titty out with a little pasty. What was like the three defining VMA moments? Oh, um, Little Kim. Yeah, Little Kim. Yeah. Or like, and I feel like more recently, like one of the most defining moments was Little Nas kissing his backup singer. Or backup on, the American, on the American Music Awards, yeah. Yeah. But I feel like because of Britney, Madonna, and Christina, like learning to walk, everybody else was kind of allowed to run if that absolutely makes sense. no absolutely <clears throat> you have you have queer artists openly queer artists like adam lammer and lil nas x like being able to be open and being true to themselves and you know like choice of as well like able to be openly who they are and still have successful careers in the music industry and even though britney christina and madonna aren't openly members of the lgbtqia plus community that seeing that moment on television was a defining moment in queer pop culture because that's the first time on a big event like that, you would see three women kissing. Yeah. And it was like, I remember when that happened. I mean, we were younger, obviously. Oh, I remember watching it live and being like, what? (laughs) I remember it being like all over the place and how like people were like trying to cancel all three of them because of it. And, you know, it was just one of those things that like, it's still talked about. You know, just like Lady Gaga still talked about doing paparazzi and Little Nas now kissing and Adam Lambert kissing and like all these other things that have happened post that, you know, it's one of those things that will always be talked about at the VMAs. Like it will always make a VMA list about what happened. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would I would say that was definitely one of the uh, the moments, if you will, that defined pop gay culture. Um, one of yours. One of the ones that somebody put on mine, and I had to look this up because obviously I'm not a huge soap opera fan and I'm not a huge like I person have. who watches those kind of things. But one that people had the most likes on my Facebook one was Billy Crystal playing a gay character on soap. Yes. And kind of launching Billy Crystal's career as a gay character when he himself is not a homosexual. Right. So he was kind of like the original queer bait, I guess. One of them. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. He played that. He, I know, I vaguely know of it. I've never watched soap, but I knew that it was a big defining moment that he played a gay character. He's one of the, he's one of the one of the great comedians of our time. Oh, 100 percent And him playing a gay character is monumental. Yeah, and it was like the first gay 
gay, openly gay character on a network television. On, on a network television. On a t- soap was weird because soap was like, it was a soap opera, but it was like not a soap opera at the same time. So like, it's a weird one, but not very many, there was not very many openly gay characters on soaps when that happened. And it was a big deal. And now they yeah. got fags, the fags on the soap operas all the time. Well, yeah. I mean, we had our own shows for a long time. Like we had William Grace for a long time. We had Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Like we had openly gay characters on network television, on mainstream right. culture, on primetime. Um, and it was celebrated. And now look at it, like we have drag race. Um, we have queer culture on like be a pose on the runway. We have pose, like we have all these queer stories that are being told now on network television. And I think it had something to do with Billy Crystal's character on soap that kind of opened the doors to show people that yes. These people exist. You can try to censor them and hide them, but they still exist. They're still out there. They still have stories to be told. Absolutely. And like on that same note, a lot of the ones on a lot of things that I saw in my comments were a couple of things. I had a combination of Will and Grace as well as Ellen coming out on her television show as two like the defining moments as well. So I think representation in television like that has been a big thing and a big defining moment for queer pop culture. Yeah. And, you know, we also had uh, we had Queer as Folk in the early 2000s. And that was kind of like the big gay show. Show, yeah. So, you know, we had Will and Grace came out in 98. Um, and it was very much like the caricature of gay life. You know, right. it was the over-the-top gay character with uh, with Jack McFarlane and his fag hag Karen living the, the struggling gay actor kind of whore, if you will. I mean, in essence, that's what the Jack character was versus the straight-laced gay character with Will being a law- an attorney um, with his interior designer friend, you know, so it was very much the caricature. And then two years later, you had Queer as Whole come out that showed like the real side of gay culture. Right. That like, showed actually like what our life is like. Like the complete opposite was like these people exist. Yes, there's promiscuous sex and there's the hookup culture that is very rampant in the gay culture, but it also showed that like these people struggle with HIV and AIDS, they struggle with coming out to their parents. They struggle with everyday life things of being harassed and bullied and murdered and all those kind of things simply because they're gay. So it was kind of one of those, the yin and yang, if you will. And then like it opened the door for Dawson's Creek to have a gay character. Right. And like the big, like the big one that set all these in motion and like not, even though she's been canceled and she's an awful person, Ellen coming out on her show in 1997 really kind of like pushed the envelope forward and made it able for shows like Will and Grace and Dawson's Creek and Queer's Folk for those shows to have gay characters and have openly gay, you know, stories in them. And I'd be remiss if I said, like, I don't want to praise her because she is, you know, an awful, awful. However, you cannot talk about queer representation in media without referencing her contributions to the gay movement and the the, the gay agenda in mass media well i think also even before ellen came out on her show we have to go back to 95 when you know in the LA episode of roseanne no at oh, roseanne, okay like yeah yes, roseanne may not necessarily be like the quintessential queer representative but she was one of the first to have a gay wedding yes it may have been a, a joke and they may have put strippers and all this other stuff in the episode to kind of make it funny but right. regardless, it's they still did that on primetime television at like the most interesting time because it was around Christmas and they did that. And that opened the door for a lot of people to look at, you know, that show and go, wow, they're really kind of m- making this OK. And even before then, like like you were going to say L.A. Law. 
Right, LA Law had, in 1991 had the first ever lesbian kiss on network television. And it's crazy that that kind of, they, Roseanne saw that, that like the creators of Roseanne saw like that as kind of something they wanted to follow the path of them as well because it really didn't do much for the show and it really like didn't help the show that lesbian kiss in LA law. Well, no, but also look at like in the eighties when Blanche Devereaux's brother came out of the closet. Right. Like it was a big thing because it hadn't been done before, but it really didn't do anything. Like they still continued. They still had three more seasons after that. It was still like, it still did something, but for the people who are of the, the community, they watch those things and go, wow, I'm like, I'm being represented on this huge national platform. Right. Absolutely. What else is on your list? I have rent opening on Broadway. Uh, stories about HIV, AIDS, queer characters, drug use, and sex work, and won the Pulitzer Prize for drama when it came out. Yeah, let's talk about Rent, because Rent was kind of like the first show on Broadway that kind of was centered around queer culture. Right. And like was just out there and in your face, and this is what's going on. And it kind of like really showed that during the early 90s, the AIDS epidemic was still a thing. And it wasn't just gay right. people that were that were getting it. Right, and it was... It was the first time we ever had representation of the AIDS epidemic and, you know, sex workers and queer characters that were completely raw and vulnerable and real to who they were, you know, not some caricature on television. It was the people that Jonathan Larson grew up around and the people he was comfortable with and the people he knew and the people that he came to love. They were, those characters were representations of an, like an amalgamation of everybody that he'd ever experienced and like his understanding and his experience in the gay experience. Oh yeah, and it was, and Rent is probably like my all-time favorite Broadway show that I've ever seen. It's and the I one I've the seen the most. Broadway. I've seen I've seen it the most. Yeah, I saw the original Broadway cast. Uh, it was the first show that I ever saw on Broadway when I was 10 years old. It was, you know, it was one of the shows that kind of made me feel comfortable with who I was at 10. I was fucking 10 years old and I was comfortable with being queer. And, you know, it, really kind of paved the way for other shows to have queer representation in their shows. You know, we had Bear a Pop Opera came out, which was centered around two Catholic schoolboys who were gay, but kind of had to hide it because they were in the Catholic school. Um, you had Melchior in Spring Awakening, who was openly gay and like was unapologetic about it. Um, you Then you had like Torch Song Trilogy, you had Hairspray the Musical come out where Harvey Firestein plays a female character and like that's how it's written and that's how it is. And it's not making fun of drag queens. Like It just meant to be that way. Right. And there's a man playing a female. And, you know, it kind of really opened the door for a lot of these other shows to happen where it normalized like this gay concept on, on stage. Um, and I really like, I really wish J- Jonathan was alive to see his his show blow up to be the the cultural phenomenon that it did. I know. I that's um, like I can't imagine. Like he he created one of the most defining moments in Broadway and one of the most defining moments in musical theater, and never got to live to see just the effect and the impact and the the healing and all that that creation did for the world and for the community and just for musical theater in general. Yeah, I. It, it definitely was pop culture, just something that really defined gay gay pop culture there. Hit me with one of yours. We'll do, let's talk about the one that obviously affected you and I uh, the most. You know, two people had commented this one, one on my Facebook and one on my uh, I have Instagram. an idea. Of what, I have an idea of what you're going to say. Um, and it was Pulse. Right. Um, you know, Pulse, while it may not have been a positive culture impact on the gay it's community. It's still an impact. It was, 
it was still a huge impact. You know, it kind of showed that all this fighting that we have been doing for years, you know, with Don't Ask, Don't Tell getting repe- repealed and, um, you know, us being able to get married in like 30 states or whatever it was, didn't matter because there are still people out there who hate us. And who wanted, want us to die for who we love. Yeah, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Pulse being such a, a, a huge no, pop gay culture kind of impact because you and I both are from Orlando. I had been to right. Pulse. You had been to Pulse. Right. Um, that was that was the that was my first ever gay club that I felt at home at outside of home, my hometown of New York. Yeah. Yeah. If you've never been to Orlando and you never got the the privilege and the honor of being one of the people who got to experience Pulse, Pulse was the nightclub in the, the gay nightclub in Orlando. Oh, absolutely. It was the place where you went. Like, yes, we had Parliament House, but Parliament House was kind of like the older. The older crowd went to Parliament House because it had been around for so long. So, like, if you were an older gay, you went to Parliament House because they had the pool. They had the hotel. It was more focused on the older queens. So, like, Darcel, Miss P. Pulse was Daniel. just so welcoming. And it was leave your baggage at the door and they accepted yeah. everybody. Well, yes. But, I, but also, like, it was the place where you went because it was more of the younger crowd that went there. And Orlando was a very young gay town. Right. And it's nothing against our older our older generation of, of gays that live here. But Pulse was more geared to the younger crowd. They had the go-go boys. You know, they had the, the drag queen, the younger drag queens. Uh, they had the up-and-coming drag queens where Parliament House was more like the Footlight players were more of the established queens. They were more right. of the showgirls. They were more right. of the pageant girls. And then you had Southern, which at that time was kind of like below the radar of drag clubs because they were just kind of like trying to Coming figure out. out who they were. Right. They were just trying to kind of like start their own thing. Um, they existed, but it wasn't as big as like Pulse or Parliament. And it just was the place. We had Axel Andrews was there. Roxy was there. The Adonises were there. So it was very much like the established younger crowd went there. And it made it feel more welcoming. It felt more, like you said, the more welcoming club because it was our age. It was our demographic. Right, absolutely. And like I said, I'd never felt at home at a nightclub before until I went to Paul's. Yeah. And, you know, I, when, when that whole thing happened, was in bed and Ginger was out on tour with Battle of the Seasons. I don't remember where they were. I think they were in Denver. And I was getting text messages and phone calls and like all these things. I was dead asleep. And I don't, I, I, that's a me, really bad phrasing, but like I was out. Me as, me as well. And like my mom called me like 47 times. I had like 30 text messages from her because she had seen what had happened and I wasn't answering my phone. And of course, as we know, if you're a gay person on a Friday night or a weekend night, you're You're a gay club. Right. You're doing your thing. And with Ginger being freshly off season, that was our life. We were at clubs. We were at nightclubs. We were performing and all this stuff. Right. So like when I woke up and called my mom, she was in tears on the phone with me. And like when I posted that I was okay on, on Facebook, people like were relieved and everything like that. Right. It was was the same thing. Same thing with me, yeah. I remember going to work that day and, you know, two of my team members didn't come to work. They were both fine, but they had been to be at Pulse that night. And one of them was pulling people out of the club and throwing them in the back of pickup trucks for them to go to the hospital. It was like that hit hard. And then, you know, Universal lost seven team members that night. One that I had worked with once when I was in attractions. And, you know, somebody else that I was close with was uh, Jade Sotomayor's cousin. Uh, 
passed away that night as well. And it was just one of those things that will always be kind of defined as the catapult to like gun control and the which we still the, don't have. No, which we still don't have, and the queer fight to show people that we're still being attacked because of who we love. Right, and it's like you're always so when tragedies happen, you're always so removed. Well, like I guess. Not necessarily you, because you are from the city as well. So you experienced 9-11 firsthand as well. Yeah. But for me, it was always, you know, you're so removed from these tragedies and you see these things happen. And then being a part of it and being involved in the community and being, you know, a part of that community that's attacking and part of that community that is experiencing this great attack and this great, like, loss and this great pain. It, it, it's hard. It's a really hard thing to deal with. Well, you know, when, when polls happen, it, it brought me right back to 9-11. Because right, I can't imagine. Once again... Once again, I'm in a city where this tragedy is happening, where all of the news is focused on where I live. And once again, it's something beyond my control, but you you kind of get that like that survivor guilt, if you will. Right. Um, because you know, Pulse was my gay community and I had been there two months prior and now this is happening. And I could have been there and this could have happened, and all those thoughts went through your head. Or like 9-11 where my parents were one of the, like, not first responders, they were like third responders, but were down there helping people sift through, like, the debris looking for people to save. And it's like, in my mind, well, what if my parents were first responders? And what if this happened? And what if this happened? Because they lost friends right. because Absolutely. of the asbestos. They lost friends because of all the stuff that happened down there. And it's like, well, what if something happened to them? like all of these like things went through your mind and it's like well when, when what's the next thing that's gonna happen am i gonna be in the city when something else happens right no i absolutely anyway what's one more from you michael so i think my last one i want to focus on you know a an underrepresented portion of the lgbtqia community one that's like not always given the exposure it should or you know not the appropriate exposure um so my, two big ones that i saw are th- comments of things like transitions of big name celebrities so chaz bono and Caitlyn Jenner. However, I want to disclaim this. Caitlyn Jenner's transition was groundbreaking for obvious reasons. Her actions and inability to separate her Republican ideals and not using her platform properly to effectively advocate for the trans community and like her that kind of thing. I'm not advocating for any of that. I just want to say like things like Chaz Bono's transition and Caitlyn Jenner's transition and actresses like Laverne Cox, you know, having mainstream careers as trans individuals is something that, you know, something that defines us. You know, we trans representation wasn't a thing 10, 10, even five, 10, even 15 years ago. Like it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. You know, even like um, Elliot Page recently with his transition. The only big, the only big celebrity I can ever think of that I knew as a trans individual prior to any of these people would be Alexis Arquette. Yeah. She's the only one that I can think of that, you know, kind of set the ball in motion and got the ball rolling for actresses like Laverne Cox to have successful careers and for Chaz Bono to feel like he can, you know, live his true self and Elliot Page feel like he can live as his true self. I feel like it's remiss if we don't speak about things like this because these are big society defining moments that I keep, I like, I remember a time in life in my life when I didn't know a trans individual and like not know what that struggle was like. Well, and, and you know, I don't think you and I ever will know what that struggle. No, abs- no, absolutely because- not. I'm just saying. Well, I mean, no, like, I, I mean, get like, where like, you're coming from. Like, yeah, seeing like seeing somebody like that of like that that is transgendered, not you know, not not being exposed to something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, you and I have been blessed enough as people who are part of the entertainment industry at this point, because I will consider you part of the entertainment industry because you have done gigs with us. 
You have right. no, you have. You've done gigs with us. We have interviewed people who are who fall under the transgender umbrella. Um, my husband falls under that as being non-binary. And you know, we have been blessed enough to be able to interact with people who are part of that community and see it firsthand the disrespect that they get. You know, oh, I've known Peppermint. I've known Peppermint since her original season of season nine. I've known her since then. I've gotten very close with Peppermint. I consider her part of my family. I love her to death. She is my She's sister. the nicest human being I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah, like I consider her part of my my circle. And if there's one person that I would take a bullet for in my life, it would be Peppermint. I adore that woman. She is one of the nicest people I ever meet. But even as somebody who is very openly supportive of the trans community, she still gets misgendered all the time. She still gets called a man. She still gets put down because she wasn't born in the body she feels comfortable in. And it's the same thing with Jiggly Caliente. I love Mrs. Jigglesworth. She is, she is my sister. I have known her the longest out of any of the, the drag race girl ever. Bianca is the sweetest human you'll ever meet. You know she's this. She's so nice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she's such a sweetheart. And she continuously gets put down and misgendered on purpose. And it's one of those things where it's like, we as a community, even if you aren't part of our community, part of the gay community, part of the alphabet mafia, if this is what this person is presenting as, respect the fact that this person is presenting as a woman or the opposite side, this person is presenting as a male and respect that. It's like Elliot, look at Elliot Page when he transitioned. Right. People were consistently referred to as his dead name. Yeah, constantly. And like, I give props to Netflix and Hulu for the minute that Elliot announced his transition and announced his new name, they instantly went on and changed his name across their platform. Right. Like in the credits of everything, it was changed to Elliot. That is is very impressive. And it was like within an hour of, of him announcing his transition and his new name was, this is what it is. But then we also look at people like Caitlyn Jenner. And this is going to sound wrong, and I don't mean it to sound wrong, but we look at people like Caitlyn as this beacon of of hope. She should have been. She should have been. But instead of being the beacon of hope and supporting her own community, she constantly puts them down for political gain, for fame, for whatever she may be doing for. And it's sad and and disgusting because she could have done so much with her platform and I commend her for having this, having experienced the struggle of being trans. And I commend her for, you know, having the courage to live her truthful self. However, what I don't condone and what I, what I want to, you know, shame her for is what she did with that platform because what she did is straight up and downright disgusting. Yeah. Instead of going out and going, well, we should allow trans individuals to play, play sports, sport, to play sports. She just constantly puts them down from doing so. Or, you know, she could have easily been the, the fucking voice of reason to Donald Trump during his presidency right. about trans individuals, but didn't for whatever. And it's political- so sad. It's so sad because the Kardashian Jenner clan and the Kardashian Jenner, like, powerhouse what they are she could have done so much for the trans experience and it's such a shame that it's turned out the way that it did yeah but then you get people like like the drag race girls like carmen carmen carrera could have easily been a voice of a generation but instead she chose not to be and she chose to remain silent and start fights with people and just be this this nasty person and could have easily been just the first openly like transitioned girl on drag race but instead she was just kind of a cunt 
Right. No, I agree. I agree. I think that she handled herself inappropriately as well after Drag Race. But yeah, I, I just think there's different. And it's not to say that what people commented on her stuff is not as important to uh, gay culture, gay pop culture. No, I just picked like the big ones to me that were effect, like impactful in my life and what I like thought were worthy of being mentioned. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, there's so much more that is going to happen in, you know, our culture and stuff like that that we will further discuss in later episodes. But I feel like these were the big ones. Like these are the big defining moments that kind of pushed our community to be more of a, a force, if you will. No, absolutely. I totally agree. Shall we go to another break, Michelle? I think we shall uh, untuck in the Interior Illusions Lounge. I'm from Chicago, bitch! You're listening to Quarantine Bears, the podcast. <laughs> Michael, will you bear with me for a moment? I can. Michael, bear with me for a moment. If you put out a song that is the same title as someone else's while you were on the same season, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to show that you are a better singer because the reality of the situation is you aren't? I love my sister, Kylie. I think she's a talented person. Uh, but girl, I don't know what you're trying to do by putting out the same song. You literally put the same title out two months after we did. I, I just don't understand her idea behind the reason she did do it. Good for you, girl, but you could have literally changed the title to something else or redid the song. I'm just really confused on what she's trying to accomplish. And what really kind of bothers me is like in the world that we live in, like in, in the world, and by that I mean the drag race fandom world, why is it the need to put one person down to celebrate? somebody else because i've seen all the comments on the video and a lot of it is like ginger wishes she was this good of a singer or yes kylie you're so much better than trixie you can really sing and it's just really just disheartening because you're putting others down to celebrate somebody when the reality is is like they are all very talented in in different aspects of 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 what they do drag isn't a one like it's a universal thing there's so much you can do with drag you can be an actress a singer a comedian a fucking fashion model like you can be all of this so i don't understand the reason to put down one to celebrate somebody else i will never understand that and why no, me neither is, is very much that the other thing that really drives me crazy about the fandom and i've seen it in the comments because of the song is the fat phobia that fucking runs rampant instead of sitting there and saying i don't like you because you're not talented it's i don't like you because you're fat right you're a fuck you fat bitch like yeah the reality is, yes, we know we're fat. We have a mirror. We can see it. Right. We, we, we see it every day. So if that's your comeback on why somebody shouldn't win because they're fat, Wipe get it off the your fuck chin. out of here. Yeah. Like, your mom and dad should have swallowed. End of story. Right. It's just, it's disgusting, honestly. That's all I got to say about that. She going to drop the mic right here, motherfucker. Beesh. I don't really know what that was. Bear with me for a moment. If you're going to call a customer service representative and try to get a refund on something, and then realize you're not going to get a refund because you don't have any extenuating circumstances and you don't have COVID, and then hang up and end the call, realize we're going to notate your account. And then when you call back 15 minutes later and get the person sitting next to me, and you say that you have COVID now and that you need a refund, don't be a fucking liar. Be honest. (laughs) You're gross. Stop that. Boom. This literally happened today. Fucking liars. Fucking liars. I mean, that's what happens. Liar, liar, pants for hire. Well, Michael, uh, it was fun. Uh, Hopefully next week I'm not sitting in LA anymore and I'm sitting in Provincetown. Uh, If you like this episode, go follow me at the C-E-E underscore J-A-Y across all socials. Uh, If you don't like me, go follow me at me, me, I'm first. And if you like me, you can follow me at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Mike Burlow. Go add me because I... 
and beautiful and stunning and jaw-dropping and fantastic and amazing. And if you want to catch up on all the episodes you missed with the Queer and Seen Bears, www.queerandseenbearspodcast.com is the only place to get in-depth, deep access to our past episodes, buy some fancy merch, and drop us a line. You can also follow us on socials at Queen Steam Bears Podcast across all socials as well. And um, while you're there, and while you're listening, make sure you go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star, leave a comment, like us, tell your friends, tell your enemies. If you don't like somebody, tell us. Maybe we'll, re- maybe we'll do an entire episode about people cursing their friends tell us we're beautiful <laughs> we want to hear it yeah i mean people do that all the time on my um, on my instagram so I'm, i don't need it go tell michael though because obviously he needs a boost okay anyway michael sing us out now it's time to say goodbye to all our company michael's here cj's looking outside in la see you next tuesday bye bye <laughs>